Welcome to the Media Will Eat Itself podcast. Unhindered by sponsored messages and adverts, we're delving into the minds of real people in real situations, talking about topics that affect our daily professional lives. There are no celebrity interviews here, but what we lack in star power, we make up for with the thrills and spills of what it's like to work in modern media. Today, we're talking to Tanya Andreasen, MD and Editor-in-Chief of Fintech Futures Banking Technology. I'm Sean Weston. Let's get on with the show. Tanya, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. So believe it or not, you are the second Russian speaker I've talked to for the show recently. This is a new benchmark for me. Oh, wow. Well, I, I would have liked to be the first, <laughs> the first. <laughs> trailblazer, but I'll settle for the second. <laughs> so you, were, you worked as a translator many years ago, didn't you? Yes, I did indeed. And my first education is in languages. So do you miss it? Not really. And you speak Spanish too, right? I do, but un poco. I haven't practiced it for many, many years. So my knowledge is passive, a bit like a dog. You know, I understand a lot, <laughs> but I cannot say anything. I am the least likely person to be able to test you on Spanish. So I think we're okay. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> so would you provide our listeners with a brief history of FinTech Futures, please? Of course. So FinTech Futures is formerly known as banking technology. And banking technology has a very, very long history that predates the internet and mobile and digital and what have you. So it was a magazine, a B2B magazine established in the 1980s, and it has been uh, a magazine very well known, very reputable to date. It continues to exist under its banking technology name. But Fintech Futures is a bit younger as a brand and as a name. It was launched just a couple of years ago uh, when I arrived at the company and we looked at a kind of enterprise-wide rebrand. And we felt like Fintech Futures was a good name to address the present and the future of a very hot industry, which is fintech. Yeah, absolutely. And it's news, isn't it? It's thought leadership. And it's also event organization, right? It is. That's correct. So Fintech Futures is a digital and print publishing platform, sort of like a community hub for everyone in the fintech space, either those who start in the industry are just coming into the industry or those who are the veterans of the industry that predate the word fintech. So Mm. people who work in technology functions in banks or software companies that provide technology and services to the financial services organizations. And it's everything from the news stories to thought leadership, to analysis, to commentary, to satire, uh, to white papers, videos, and what have you. So to kind of to give uh, the industry anything they need or they want uh, from the point of view of being educated of what's going on in the space. And uh, FinTech Futures is part of Informa, which is a very large event organizer. So there are plenty of sister businesses within the organization, such as Finnovate, that produce events for the fintech people who read our publications. Yeah. Well, well, I was, as you know, I was editor-in-chief of Banknext for three years. So I know what it feels like to be at the helm of a hungry media beast. How do you find the demands of running such a large brand? Well, it is... uh, shall we say, and as you know, that's uh, never a dull moment, right? And there is never, yes, there is never downtime. So, you know, again, you know, you with your experience would feel the same, I'm sure, that in the past, the media 
pace was a lot slower, right? You didn't have all the social media, you didn't have the bite size of Twitter, you didn't have mobile, you didn't have instant accessibility to everything and all the information. So you could take your time. Now, you know, you're constantly under pressure to produce information, to put out editorial out there. And for a big organization such as Fintech Futures, where you have readership all over the world mm. at all time zones, yeah. you know, and across different countries, it's like it, there is never a moment to just do nothing, really. We don't have a life, do we? It's in, <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, when, when you have like, I don't know, Christmas, uh, you know, in, in, in the Western part of the world, you know, the Middle East is, um, well, very much there working yeah, and so on and so on, forth yeah. you know when mm. when you have like nighttime in australia you know the us is still full on in their work mode or just starting their day so yeah there is plenty of stuff going on but it's interesting you yes. know it's exciting it makes it it makes it really worthwhile doing what you're doing because you you know that you're doing the good stuff you're bringing information to people who need it yeah. and you're always there when um, you know the fintech professionals want to get up to speed on news or what's going on or just maybe have a quiet time and read a bit of satire or something yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and your, your background is predominantly in finance circles right yes yeah, that's so correct why are you so passionate about finance uh well i kind of felt uh fell into the um finance media area by accident many many years ago and I really liked it and I stayed and then finance and fintech became very very sexy so I thought well that's a good place and a good time yeah. so <laughs> here I am yeah well you're a very experienced editor and publisher as well so you've, you've kind of married the two haven't you that that financial knowledge that you have and, and experience and then being a publisher at the same time how do you think publishing has changed over the last decade oh wow well just to you know all my so points much, that yeah. i mentioned earlier yeah. you know it was a lot uh shall i say like uh paced and quiet in a way particularly with the b2b brands mm -hmm. and particularly with the niche b2b brands like if you looked at banking technology before the fintech space exploded it was a very paced and a very tame and kind of very i wouldn't say dull but it wasn't the most exciting or you know vibrant of industries to cover as a media publication and you had your magazine that was produced, say, once a month, for example. You had a website that had a couple of stories here and there, but that's about it, really. Well, websites changed, didn't they? Websites changed from from almost becoming um, the thing that propped up the magazine to actually overtaking the magazine in terms of what it could uh, achieve for you as a brand and, a, and a, as a server for, for an audience. Oh, you are right 100%. Nowadays, with the FinTech Futures brand and with our website and our digital proposition, this is the main place, the main business, um, and the ma main point of focus for us and our audience. The magazine is wonderful. It's very well established. It has the legacy, the history, and, you know, all that's associated with that and the reputation. So it continues, but it's a monthly thing. Right. Yeah, so yeah. it basically incorporates all the best bits that happen throughout the month. Well, they end up feeding one another. Yes. Every, every little channel that you have ends up feeding one another. And that's what makes the, the beast of, of your brand um, so exciting and so dynamic. Oh, you know what? Absolutely. And for example, the magazine is still published in print. It's in digital as well. But 
I personally a big fan of print. I still, I think it still has. You have a soft spot for it, yeah. I do, I do. I still think it has a place in this world. It just needs to be a clever place, you know. It's just you can't just keep printing huge volumes and send it out there, you know, without any thought and consideration. You have to find the right place for it, and then it can thrive. We are one of the very few remaining print publications in the B2B sort of fintech and banking technology space. So there is opportunity for us here. So we are present uh, at all major conferences where people still like to pick up the magazine, to leave through it, you know. And then, as you say, it's feeding them the digital because they might look at it, you know, in physical form and then go online and read some more stuff online. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what was your reaction to to the Apple News thing where it's going to be the magazine subscriptions? Because it's kind of a halfway house, isn't it? What, what did you think of that? Well, I will look at it cautiously and see how it goes, but I can imagine that everybody is now keeping a close eye mm, in the bet. media industry yeah. as everybody in the financial services industry are keeping a close eye on Apple with its Apple card. Yes. So, yeah. and everybody's thinking, okay, what's next? Yeah. Because I quite like I quite like the idea of subscribing to two hundred and fifty or three hundred odd magazines that I wouldn't normally buy, and 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 they're still going to be in that magazine format rather than a website format. So it, it, I kind of attracted to it, and I, I kind of look forward to exploring it. I think it's October, isn't it, for the UK? Yes, mm. it's definitely an interesting proposition. Uh, I can imagine that if you're subscribing, for example, to that many magazines at once, how many of them would you actually read? How much time do you have these days, as well as everyone else, to dedicate your time to this, right? Time is the perfect. You've just nailed it it on the head. Exactly. Because you know what I did? You know, I took the list. Mm. I took the list of the American ones that are coming out. And I thought, well, how many do I really want to keep up with? And I actually surprised myself. I counted 46 or 47. Well, I thought, well, that's worth £10 a month because that oh. would normally cost me hundreds of pounds. But where will I find the time to actually read them? <laughs> that's, that, that's the thing. Exactly. I think you have to be really disciplined, yes. uh, you know, to really take your time. Or I guess the beauty of Apple, uh, of this Apple subscription is you can dip in and out, in and out, you know, various magazines. You can take a look at, you know, you don't have to read the whole thing, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, from exactly. first page yeah. to the last page and so on and so forth. It's always there. You can leaf through it. So for, for as a consumer, I can definitely see the attraction. As a magazine publisher, I also see attraction on the one hand, because mm-hmm. then suddenly you can... If you are part of that Apple subscription, you can reach the audience that is much, much greater than you maybe would have reached otherwise. But on the other hand, it's easy to get lost in the noise. Yes. With so many magazines and so many publications, you just become one of hundreds. Pros and cons, thousands. right? Pros and cons. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've distracted you there. Sorry about that. So, <laughs> so if we come back now, let's let's talk about your knowledge a little bit because I like I like that little snippet you gave me about having a soft spot for for the old print publications and, and such like. But you are. Uh, a modern uh, media digital professional. That, that's exactly what you are right now. You, you're, you're at the cusp of, of what's new in, in media. So have you actually come to that realization about yourself, how much you know about putting a website together, for instance? Oh, well, thank you for saying such uh, nice things about <laughs> me. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to think that too, yes. Oh, absolutely. When, um, as the print started to be phased out more and more in favor of digital and the digital was coming in, the idea of what a publishing website should look like. Uh, 
uh, what service should it provide, what purpose, how it can be accessed, and so on and so forth. These are the questions that people probably didn't, publishers, you know, editors didn't think about before mm, because, yeah. well, a website was a website, you know. And it has changed so much over the last few years, even let alone 10 years, even in a couple of, you know, two, three years. Yeah, very much. Um, it has changed drastically. So you had to learn, you had to learn to understand. And I think this is what kind of helped some of the publications advance greatly. And quite a few of them fell by the wayside is the desire and the ability of the team that was leading these businesses to relearn to unlearn, relearn, learn new stuff, and to be open to new things as opposed to saying, oh, but we've always done it like that. So let's continue printing the magazine and that's it, for example. And I guess this goes across all the industries, not just publishing. Yeah, the core of a successful business is being able to adapt to change, right? Exactly. And yeah. quickly. And yes. quickly. And also, but also not just changing for the sake of changing because everybody else is doing it, launching a website because everybody else is doing it, launching an app because everybody else is doing it. No, but to really understand what it is you're trying to achieve and then take clever steps, practical and theoretical, towards that goal. Yeah. So where you work, does everyone have their role and they stick to it? Or is, is um, would you say a modern media house now is fluid and expressive where everyone shares knowledge? Or is it somewhere in between? I think uh, that ideally the modern media house is something uh, that involves everyone sharing their knowledge. And as you said, being fluid, uh, it's not very easy, especially if you have, you know, organizational silos and structures. It depends if you're working in a small team or a very big team, you know, how corporate your organization is and so on and so forth. But I can definitely say that nowadays there is a lot more close cooperation and work between the departments such as editorial, marketing, business development, design. So people no longer work in silos or they shouldn't work in silo silos as in the past. So the editor doesn't say, oh, I'm only editing and therefore I just write and I don't care what marketing does. It doesn't work like that. No, you can't do that now. It's, it's a dangerous mm. game, isn't it? To, to sort of say, well, yes. this is my responsibility. I'm accountable for it. I don't need to get involved with you. But actually, it's better to get involved with everyone, isn't it? So you know what they're doing, how it influences how you uh, achieve your goals all for the better of, of the company, right? Well, ab absolutely. And also think about it, for instance, just as an example of, say, marketing and editorial, there is so much going on in the content marketing space, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows content is king. So you're providing as editors, as reporters, as journalists, your top priorities to write and to write well and to deliver the information. But content marketing is writing as well, right? And it's delivering information, so perhaps in a slightly different format, in a slightly different way. However, with a wealth of experience that the editorial team has, just imagine how much good can they do if they get involved in uh, with marketing and help them with the content. Yeah, totally agree, totally agree. Let, let's move on slightly to, to how you manage fake news in, in this uh, ultra-fast um, <laughs> media, media world. Has it slowed down the process of publishing simply because you have to check facts more vigorously? Uh, I... I suppose that in our case, because we are not as much of a mainstream consumer, you know, publication, uh, it's a bit easier for us. The fake news are not as prolific. Mm. Good point. So, and there are, you know, and there are ways of checking it faster. Uh, 
you know, so we have been affected, but not to the same extent as, you know, the mainstream sort of consumer publications. Mm, okay. Well, what about, what about marketing yourself then and, and your brand? Do you have a social media specialist in-house? Uh, we do share that function at the moment between our marketing and, and our editorial. Uh, our wider informer parent has dedicated social media people. Uh, it's an interesting, actually, um, sort of conundrum in a way. On the one hand, you can put dedicated social media people in place and get them to post things on social media, monitor social media, get interactive with the audience. But then you have to make sure that they actually know what it is they are talking about. Mm. And uh, that means that they need to learn uh, the subject and they need to read everything, for example, that the publishing house writes, all our news stories, all our thought leadership pieces, all the, our, I don't know, industry comments and whatever, what have you. Because how can they put out, you know, their tweets or their posts and interact with the audience if they have no clue what it is they're doing? you know, the content. So this way you could argue that the editorial team, for instance, would be an ideal candidate to take care of social media and look after social media because they write the stories on a daily basis so they know what they're talking about. So it's it's tricky. It's tricky. I kind of see social media as one of these things that helps break out of the silos. I think, uh, you know, sometimes you can go in a business like I, I, I'm a freelancer now, so I, I, I can go into a business that has maybe 100, 150 people working there. So you mm. know already there are going to be siloed departments and people have been there for 20 years. People have only been there for a year and possibly don't know one another. Yep. And I find that the quicker a business grasps the concept of social media, the easier it is to break down those silos because it has to be a shared effort. I agree. I think what you're saying, everybody should write that down or print it out and put it on the wall. A hundred percent. It is because social media is, this is your kind of, your Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. It is like the window into your company, you know, or from your company to your audience. So to be able to deliver something that stands out from the noise, because just how many tweets are there every second? Mm. Like gazillion. So if all you do is just post a boring tweet, it's going to get lost. Nobody would notice it. What you want, of course, is to be noticed in a good way. You want to interact in a good way. You want to have a two-way sort of conversation to attract more readers, attract more audience, or, I don't know, promote your business. But for that, you need to really understand the content and also understand from the marketing point of view uh, how to deliver it in the best way that is catchy, that is memorable, that yeah. is interesting. You know, and for that, you need to learn how to use social media, pictures, GIFs, videos, short video clips. I don't know, write hashtags. You have to learn it because nobody's born with no, this no, knowledge, no. right? And On an individual basis too, right? Um, exactly. So you're not just – because I think sometimes uh, companies can get lost in, in having someone responsible for social media. You're responsible for our company channel. But then they think they don't have to do anything themselves, like share mm. and like and, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Well, just maybe check in and see, like, are you – is, is that whoever is responsible for those social media channels, are they engaging enough? Are they using the right hashtags? Are they 
tagging the right people, the right companies? Yeah. You know, yeah. are they using the right tone of voice? You almost need a separate style guide, don't you, for social media? <laughs> yes, yeah. And just imagine people who worked, for example, in the company for 20 years and who, for example, never even needed to use Twitter suddenly are being told, oh, you must like, you must reshare that. Yeah. And where do you even begin? So things like that, like learning, for example, social media is, as you say, it's a very good way to break silos, to bring people together, uh, to get them to share their knowledge and expertise and just make magic happen. Yeah. What's your output like on social media? Do, do you have to, do you have a, um, a certain amount of um, channels that you need to feed per day? And, and, and what does it look like? Uh, you know, is mm. it, do you do 10 tweets a day? Do you do five? Do you do 50? Oh, well, it depends, really. Uh, everything that we write about, all the stories, all the posts that we do, you know, as a media company, we push out on social media. So we don't pick and choose that this new story gets tweeted, tweeted about, but this one doesn't. Every single one of them has to be put out there on social media. We use LinkedIn and Twitter as our main channels. We use Facebook, but you know, to a very limited extent, because the majority of our audience specifically for our B2B business comes from Twitter and LinkedIn. So everything gets tweeted about at least once and then repeated or tweeted or posted on LinkedIn and then repeated throughout the day and perhaps the next couple of days as well for the audiences in different geographical locations. Mm with different hashtags, for of example, course, for different yeah. type of audience, mm. right? Yeah. With different, perhaps, um, highlights for, again, for a different type of reader who would be reading it. So the output should be relentless. Yeah. Do you think the more the better. Do you think Facebook is still important in a business sense? Uh, you know what? There are different opinions on that. I think it is because the people who read uh, I don't know, a banking technology magazine or a fintech futures website, they are also all on Facebook, right? So they might be there for their friends and family or whatever, but uh, sometimes they can look at business, you know, sites and business pages. And also it varies greatly from geography to geography. In Asia, for instance, Facebook is a very well-known, very well-established uh, business channel. Mm -hmm. So for them, they don't think twice about, thinking oh yeah i have a business media business i don't know whatever i put it on facebook because that's how my audience consumes uh, my information that's interesting so they're almost using it as their linkedin yes yeah exactly all right so i'm going to put you on the spot because believe it or not um, um we're almost upon our half an hour it goes quickly doesn't it all right it, it does when you're having fun <laughs> <laughs> so what advice can you pass on to media students listening to this program right now, looking to work in publishing and perhaps becoming an editor themselves? Well, uh, there are so many things that um, can be said here, so I'll, I'll be brief for starters. <laughs> <laughs> for starters, uh, you have to be curious. Mm, uh, and you have to have that thirst for knowledge, for finding out stories, for learning new things, for uncovering maybe exclusives, um, for being the first to publish a, and bring that information or that story into the world. Without that drive, it would be very difficult to become a good journalist and a good reporter. Uh, to then progress to an editor, you have to have a very strong eye for detail um, and a consistency uh, and also to have the knowledge of the subject matter that you're writing about or 
vlogging about or whatever it is you're podcasting about, mm -hmm. but also at the same time to learn the publishing trade. What is a publishing business? How does it work? Be sure that you work with other departments and other businesses in your organization, as we discussed earlier, to understand how it all comes together, because then you'd get the rounded view and you would be able to really make a stamp on your um you know, on, on, on the industry you are trying to impress. Yeah, wonderful advice. Thank you for that. How do we contact you, Tani? Uh, well, you are very welcome to tweet me or to get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you're also very welcome to email me. And if you go to the Bank uh, FinTech Futures website, uh, my contact details are on it. That was wonderful. And thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me again. It's been good fun. That was Tanya Andreessen. Check out Banking Tech at bankingtech.com. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you prefer. And thanks for the messages of support. Take a look at my own website at seanweston.co.uk for more information about me. In the meantime, stay tuned. There's more to come. <laughs>